Well, thank you. I hope that you'll keep that passage from Ephesians 3 open in front of you as we look at that more closely together this morning. Just make sure I turn this on. Well, do you love mystery stories? I mean, if you're like me, the intrigue and the mental challenges of trying to find out, you know, who done it is great, isn't it? Was it Reverend Green in the billiard room with a candlestick? It's that sort of stuff, isn't it? And Paul uses the word mystery four times in our passage this morning. But when the Bible uses the word mystery, it's not talking about something vague, or something that can't be known. No, a mystery in the Bible, and especially in the New Testament, is a truth, a divine truth, that can be known, but only by those to whom God has chosen to reveal it. It's like a secret. Now, there are some jobs where a person has to sign the Official Secrets Act, where, you know, they have to keep or maintain, rather, a silence for some 30, 40, 50 years after they maybe leave a job. And when the time is up, then the secret can be made public. Our passage this morning speaks of a divine mystery that had a time limit on it. If you've got your Bibles, look at verse 4. In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to people in other generations as it has been now made or been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery, this hidden thing, is not hidden anymore, Paul says. The secret is out. The gospel has gone viral. It's out there in the public domain, revealed by God himself through the Holy Spirit. It may be an ex-secret, but it is still very much a truth and a divine truth. Of course, it's ironic that we Christians today are usually very good at still keeping it a secret, as though the news of Jesus Christ was somehow still subject to the, well, the Official Secrets Act. But this is such good news, yeah? And it's for everyone that this is not a time to keep it to ourselves. The mystery is now out there in the open. But so far, Paul hasn't yet told us what this mystery is, has he? Well, he does so in verse 6. Verse 6, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Jesus Christ. That's the secret. The gospel is for everybody. God's plan of salvation is not exclusively for the Jews or for the nation of Israel. It's for both Jews and Gentiles alike. And it involves making Gentiles people of God on the same basis and with all the same privileges of Jews. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says that he is not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. This mystery 
is that Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers in the promise that's in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That is the mystery that has now been revealed. Now, this isn't the first time that Paul has mentioned this mystery in his letter to the Ephesians. If you look back to chapter 1 and verse 9, there Paul tells us that God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, and that is, if you look at the second half of verse 10, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. There's God's master plan for the universe. It's to bring everything under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And notice the word together and how it speaks of this unique unity of bringing all things together in Christ. Last week we looked at the second half of chapter 2 and again we saw this uniting aspect of God's plan, didn't we? as God creates in himself one new humanity out of the two, that is, out of Jewish believers and out of Gentile believers, and in one body, the body of Christ, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. This is not simply combining the Gentiles in with the Jews or the Jews in with the Gentiles, This is God bringing both of them together in one new humanity, bringing them into one new and unique body, which is the church, which is the body of Christ, with Christ as its head. I believe this is what Jesus spoke about in John chapter 10, when he says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also, and there shall be one flock, And one shepherd. And Paul wants us to realise just how much of an exciting development this is. And we'll come to that in a moment. But what exactly did God reveal to the Apostle Paul? He's already told us that mystery. I suppose the question is not what did he reveal, but when did he reveal it to the Apostle Paul? Well, I reckon it was during that encounter that Paul had with the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. Yeah, we read about that in our first Bible reading. There we're told how Paul, travelling Damascus to Damascus, was struck blind by a very bright light. And this voice from heaven says to Paul, Saul, Saul, uh, Saul being his pre-Christian name, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul says, who are you, Lord? And his voice says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And there and then, Paul discovers that the Jesus of history, the Jesus that the Jewish religious leaders had handed over to Pilate to be crucified, is God's Messiah, is none other than the Son of God and God the Son. And this voice from heaven, this voice of Jesus says to him, get up and go into the city where Ananias was to tell Paul that Jesus had commissioned him to take the gospel 
to the Gentiles. That is the revelation that comes to Paul, that the gospel is for everyone, that Jesus is Lord and King and Saviour for everyone, including the Gentiles. Yes, the Jews who trusted in Jesus are in, but so too are the Gentiles, Gentiles and exactly on the same terms and with exactly the same privileges and blessings. It's become a level playing field, you might say. There is no inner circle. There's no first and second rate Christians in the church. We are all one together in Christ. And praise God for that, yeah? Because I think all of us here this morning are Gentiles, yeah? Praise God. Now, why is this such a big deal? Why is this such a major revelation from God? I mean, doesn't the Old Testament and Jewish belief right from Abraham onwards speak of all the nations coming to God through Israel? Well, here's the difference. In Jewish thought, in order to know God and to be a part of God's covenant or plan, one had to either be born as a Jew or become a Jew. That's what Isaiah and the prophets seem to be speaking about. After all, it was to be through Abraham's descendants that all nations would be blessed. And the thinking was that in order to come under the covenant that God had made with Israel, you had to become part of Israel. It took the early church a long time after Jesus came to get that sorted out. You might remember that Everywhere that the Apostle Paul went, there was also this bunch of Jewish Christians that seemed to follow him around, telling Gentiles that the death of Jesus by itself was not enough to incorporate them into the kingdom of God. Those Gentiles also had to be circumcised and, well, well basically become a Jew. When the great persecution and dispersion of Christians came, uh, from the Jews, and or the Christian Jews rather, in Jerusalem and they were spread out under the leadership, if you like, of Saul who was one of the prime um, persecutors of that early church. Ever wonder why the apostles chose to stay in Jerusalem instead of fleeing with the other Christians? Was it because the prophet Jeremiah said, at that time they will call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord? And all nations will gather in Jerusalem to the honour of the name of the Lord. No longer will they follow the stubbornness of their evil hearts. Or maybe Zechariah 8. And many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord Almighty and to entreat him. You see, in Old Testament thought, there were only ever two groups of people. It was Israel, or God's chosen people, and then there were the other nations, the Gentiles. And it was through Israel that the other nations were to be blessed. So it took the early church a long time to come to grips with this revelation that in Jesus Christ, God has now created one new humanity out of those two. With the coming of Christ, there is now only one way that a person can come into a relationship with God. 
and be citizens of heaven and enjoy all the promises that God has given. And that's through the gospel. That's through trusting in the saving death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It no longer has anything to do with being a Jew or being a citizen of Israel. It no longer has to do with being circumcised or keeping the laws of Moses or not eating unclean foods. The church of Jesus Christ is completely a new humanity that joins people from every nation under heaven together in Christ. This was the big surprise. It would be through the gospel 1 Timothy 2 reminds us that there is one God and only one mediator between God and human beings and that is the man Christ Jesus. And so it's only faith in Christ, faith in the fact that his death and resurrection is all I need to be cleansed from all my sins. Only by faith in Christ can a person become a partaker of all of God's blessings. It is through the gospel that believing Gentiles are now one with believing Jews. We are heirs together of Israel's promises. We are members together of one body and we are sharers together in the promises of Christ. As Paul says at the beginning of this letter, blessed be God in the... uh, Sorry, um, we are blessed by God in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Notice how this revelation of God's mystery was not solely revealed to Paul. Excuse me. If you look at verse 5, there Paul says that it was revealed to God's holy apostles and prophets. Paul was only one of a number of specifically authorised messengers of Jesus Christ who had all received this revelation. Peter, James and John and the others had the same privilege as Paul. You see, as we read in chapter 2, the church was founded not on just one apostle, but the church is built on the foundation of all the apostles and prophets with Jesus as the chief cornerstone. Paul was but one to whom God has revealed this mystery and given the privilege of being a servant of this gospel. Verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel, this good news, by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am uh, less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles, the boundless riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. Paul is a servant of the gospel, according to the gift of God's grace, he says. In the past, before coming to faith in Christ, Paul oppressed the gospel, didn't he? He didn't accept Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't accept Jesus as being the Son of God and he was actively and fervently involved in persecuting the church. 
That's why he was on that road to Damascus in the first place. It, he was on there. He was going to Damascus to really get stuck into the Christians there, to try and eradicate the spreading of this, what he thought was a false gospel. But now God has transformed his life and God chose to give him this great privilege of serving this gospel. Paul can't believe that he is someone who gets to share this news with everyone. And notice it's by the grace of God and the power of God. Paul is saying that it was God who gave him this truth and commissioned him to proclaim it. God himself is the power behind this servant and his message. What an amazing claim, yeah? So far in the book of Ephesians, we've seen that God, the creator of all things, raised his son, Jesus Christ, from the dead and enthroned him in the heavenly realms by his great power. We've seen how each of us were dead in our trespasses and sin and God has now made us alive with Christ and seated us in the heavenly realms by this same great power. And now... God's great powers at work in Paul and others like him, including us, who do this work of sharing the gospel of Christ with others. Why is this ministry of the gospel, telling others this good news about Jesus, so important? Why is Paul so excited about this? Because it means proclaiming the unsearchable riches of Christ. In Christ, we are rich beyond our wildest dreams, fabulously wealthy. The only reason that you and I don't appear in the, uh, in the BRW's list of rich people is because they can't put a figure on it. Our spiritual wealth is unlimited in Jesus Christ. I mean, what does worldly wealth do? It buys you or guarantees you a future, but only in your life here and now. But in Christ, we have the most stupendous future imaginable, now and in the age to come. We will never begin to exhaust all that Christ has done for us. Just think, an eternity awaits. And all the things that spoil life for us here, now on earth, will then be gone. And we'll be enjoying all that our generous God has to, to lavish upon us. And that's the gospel. It's about Jesus Christ. Paul was unworthy to speak of such a Christ, but God has granted him this great privilege of making what was unknown, known. Proclaiming to the Gentiles that these unsearchable riches of Christ are yours. Notice too why God has done this. Verse 10. His intent was that now through the church, through this one new humanity that God has created, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
the reference here to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, which Paul has used previously in chapters 1 and I think 2, but he uses again in chapter 6, it refers to angelic or heavenly beings, both good and evil. The church, in the display of God's wisdom, is not only to those within the church and to those in the world around us, but also to the angelic hosts. I mean, wow. The church has been created to glorify God and that includes being a reason for the angels to give even greater glory to their creator and for Satan and his demons to shudder at the judgment that is to come upon them. And this is done in verse 11 in accordance with the eternal purpose of God which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. John MacArthur here tries to sum it up by saying, in the classroom of God's universe, God is the teacher, the angelic beings are the students, the church of Jesus Christ is the illustration and the subject is the manifold wisdom of God. Isn't that amazing? That even Satan and his evil cronies and all the heavenly beings see God at work and marvel at the mysteries of God's being displayed in and through his church. This is something that's bigger than you and me, isn't it? To know your sins are forgiven is great news. Yeah. To know you are secure throughout all eternity, that is great news. But I think Paul is basically taking us back here to chapter 1, where we are told how God is calling out of people who will live to the praise of his glory. Right from the beginning of creation, part of God's eternal purpose and plan always included the coming of Jesus Christ, his dying and his rising again from the dead, enabling a way that God would call out of people who would live in fellowship with him and in such a way that it somehow powerfully declares even to the principalities and powers in the heavenly realms God's manifold wisdom. It's as though God says, you want to see what my manifold wisdom is like? You want to see my wisdom? Then take a look at my church. Take a look at my people who are now gathered this morning at St Barnabas in Leaderville. This is the demonstration of my manifold wisdom and power. I don't know about you, but that sort of sounds a little bit scary, doesn't it? For all eternity, we are God's possession who are to live for the praise of his glory and be the revelation of his manifold wisdom. It almost sounds like some sort of divine reality show, doesn't it? Where the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms are watching. They're watching what is happening within the church. Not so much as to see what we get up to, but to see what God is up to. And as we love one another, despite our many and varied differences, when we forgive one another for the silly and hurtful things that we say and do, when we build each other up and encourage one another in our times together, 
when we engage in gospel outreach together, they're watching. They're watching and they marvel that God accomplishes his plans through people like us. We are God's plan in action. Can you believe that? God's plan in action. And God's plans will succeed, not because of us, but because God is all-powerful and nothing and no one can stop him and his purposes. His plan of bringing all things together under Christ is a certainty. It's a dead-set rigour. And the church is to be a living demonstration of what it looks like when people are united together under the rule and the lordship of Jesus, our King. And then lastly in verse 12, Paul mentions our universal access to God, a great testimony to the power of the gospel. He says, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. In Judaism, only the high priest could enter into the presence of God and the Holy of Holies, and that but only once a year on the Day of Atonement. Anyone else who came into God's presence, into the Holy of Holies, meant instant death for them. But now Paul says every person who comes to Christ in faith can come before God at any time and with boldness and confidence. That's the privilege within this mystery of the church. However, we are not to be flippant and we're not to be irreverent in any of this. We are to come to the Lord our God with an honest and an open heart. Confident access here is a trust that has no fear of rejection because we are now God's chosen people. Yeah? We are now God's adopted children. This gospel is so powerful. It makes Christ known, it reveals God's wisdom and it brings us together in Christ and into the very presence of God. So Paul says in verse 13, I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. It's like Paul says, for goodness sake, don't worry about me. I wonder if you notice at the beginning of our reading back in verse 1 of chapter 3 how Paul describes himself. He describes himself as being a prisoner, not of the Romans, but a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And the Greek phrase here is said to be a, a genitive of originating cause. That's a big mouthful, isn't it? But what it means is it identifies Paul as a prisoner belonging to Jesus Christ, who was the cause of his imprisonment. His physical captivity has arisen out of his bondage to Jesus Christ. But the practical point that he makes is that it is for the sake of the Gentiles. Just as Jesus was not crucified for his own sake, Paul was not imprisoned for his own sake but for the sake of his Lord, for the sake of the gospel, and for the sake of those that he had been given a special and divine calling to serve. 
Paul says, yes, I am a prisoner, but God's plan is still going forward. Yeah? All my sufferings are for your benefit. The gospel has gone forward through me so that you can become fellow partakers of the glory of God's salvation through Jesus Christ. Paul was in prison, but the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is not bound, is it? It's not bound. And this revealed mystery is so important. It's so life-transforming. You might say it's so liberating. Paul could hardly believe the great privilege that God had graciously given him in serving this gospel of Jesus Christ. A privilege that Paul says in verse 7 as being a gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Paul says it's all part of God's eternal purpose. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to rejoice, don't we? We need to rejoice. We Gentiles have been added in. By God's grace, we are now part of Christ's body, the church. God's work continues, and we are now a part of that. And if that's the case, then here's a couple of things for us to think about as we finish. Firstly, we have to work like mad to be at unity with one another. We've got to work for each other and with each other to see that no barriers get in the way between us. For otherwise, the gospel would appear to be, well, would appear to be broken down and our attitude and our behaviour would not bring glory to God. And secondly, we need to be committed, committed to spread this great news, to spread and share this gospel. We need to be committed to the Great Commissions. Remember Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. He said that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. He said, go into the, all the world and preach the gospel. Now, I'm sure that is something close to Sam and Shamila's hearts as they seek to proclaim this gospel in word and action in Nepal. But is this something close to your heart? It's what God calls us to do at his church. For it is the essence of God's eternal purpose that through this gospel, both Jew and Gentiles, that is, all the people of the world, people from all nations, will be caught up into all the promises that God has ever made. Do you see God's powerful work being active within us and through us? It's a good question, and we need to think about that. Because whatever the situation, Paul says, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. It is through his church that God will bring his eternal purposes to fulfilment. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for this mystery that's been revealed, especially to us, us Gentiles. Father, we're just so grateful that you have chosen us 
in and through Christ, to be adopted as your children, to become part of your family and that you've grafted us into this unique unity we have together in Christ as your church. And we pray that through your spirit you will encourage us not just to rejoice in our salvation, but also to be able to communicate that with others, our friends, our family, maybe not in great and eloquent words like the Apostle Paul did, but just simply by telling others what you've done for us and are doing for us in our day-to-day lives. Father, may you be honoured and glorified in what we say and what we do as your church. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.